Hey everyone, welcome to the Bike Lab Performance Podcast number two. Uh, thanks for those that uh, subscribed and listened last week. It was fun to see some of the engagement and the comments on our podcast. Anywhere we share our episodes, uh, feel free to ask more questions, follow-ups. Uh, as you listen, you hear things, uh, triggers an idea. We'd love to get any of your feedback and make this a show that we all collectively kind of build together. But again, with me this week, I am... Tony Stewart, uh, owner of the Bike Lab. I have with me Matt Lanier. Hey, guys. Manager of Whole Shot Coffee, which has, um, by quite a significant margin, the best coffee in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Yeah, we we like to think that we do all right over there. (laughs) And uh, we also have with us today uh, Brandon Jackson, who uh, offers free IT service to anybody who rides a bike. (laughs) Just hit, me, just hit me up on your free, free advice. Free yeah. advice. Did you unplug it and plug it back in? Turn it off. And Profession, it professional Google a file. That's really part of yeah. when, I, when I'm hiring somebody. That's yep. that's how, how are your Google skills? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've gone to the website. Uh, let me Google that for you. Have you seen that? Uh-huh. Yeah. You haven't seen. Have you seen that? Oh yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. So there's a site. that's just the first letters of that phrase. Let me Google that for mm-hmm. you. Dot com. You go there and you do a Google search, and it spits out a link. So if someone says, "How do I program my VCR?" Right. You go there and you type in. You just type in the phrase, and it gives you a link. And when you send that link to somebody, it takes them through a flash animation that has the cursor go up to a fake search bar in Google, type in the question, and then it auto pushes them to the results page for that question. So now, now half of my emails that I'm going to send are going to be a link. So it's definitely that. a passive-aggressive way of yeah. saying, this was a dumb question. You should have just asked Google. It's pretty funny. <laughs> so, Tony, what's going on, man? You you seem uh, hyper-focused or busy on stuff. Well, right my now. office is actually clean, so you know you're getting You're getting serious. something, yeah. I, uh, I always – I'm overly competitive, and so I really like it when I feel like the conditions are at what I call like a bottleneck point where a lot of people will trail off from doing the work that's available. Meaning uh, getting to a certain level in racing takes a certain commitment to training or getting to a certain level in business takes a certain commitment to discipline and work. And when I ever get the sense that everyone else is relaxing a little bit or not as disciplined or not doing quite as much work, I get, I see as like a sneaky ninja way to get ahead. And so this time of year in bike shop world in January, most people aren't very busy. And a lot of even racers are having a harder time getting their training in, having a harder time being disciplined. And for me, I kind of get real motivated to uh, do extra work this time of year. Cool. So I have been working on a bunch of projects for our cycling club and for the shop and whole shot coffee and stuff. we got some fun projects coming out tomorrow. Friday, 9 a.m. is the first one I've been working on. It comes out for a whole shot. It's exciting. Yeah, it's cool. So, yeah, I'm, I've been staring at the computer all day, so it's been <laughs> super bad. <laughs> time to cut loose. It is time to cut loose. What are we talking about today? Brandon, I know we, we have different topics and subjects. Oh, I know. Brandon, here's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to bore people. You're going to bore people. <laughs> so, like, when you think about training and doing workouts and you see articles on and everything from Velo News to Livestrong to whatever, they'll say like, a 15-minute warm-up, three sets of this at 10 minutes, whatever. But the question we have for you today to help us kind of walk through is, if I'm doing a workout around Sweet Spot, 
what's the minimum effective load and the maximum effective load, meaning how little can I do and it actually matter to improving and how do I make sure I don't do too much sweet spot so I'm not causing damage or not getting any more effect. If there's if 90 minutes of work or 60 minutes of work, if 90 minutes is even better at that a certain point when you're doing that kind sure. of stuff. Absolutely. So what are some of the stuff that you found? Yeah, so I wanted to give just a little baseline information in case people aren't 100% familiar with what sweet spot is. Um, it's kind of like a specific percentage range of how hard you're pressing on the pedals. Um, That's how my wife describes it, too. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what they're calling it these days. A sweet spot. How hard you're pressing on the no pedals. pedals. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> it falls. Uh, we have all these zones. So zone one, two, three, four. Uh, it kind of it falls. Uh, sweet spot typically falls between zone three and uh, zone four. The actual percentage can vary, but it's usually somewhere in like the 88 to 94% of your FTP. If people want to know what FTP is, they can go back and listen to some of your um, older podcasts. You've got some good ones covering what the... What it's also is. a URL protocol for... Bugs, it is. Right? It, it mm -hmm. is. Yeah, it's definitely an IT term. <laughs> Let me Google that for you. Yeah, right. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of some background on what Sweet Spot is. It's just a, it's a very uh, small range of where you're doing focused work. Um so, like, why, why do sweet spot at all? Uh, why is it important? When do you do it? That kind of thing. Um, sweet spot uh, is kind of the right balance between intensity and volume. It it lets you do and, and inflict a lot of amount of stress on your body, but still be able to recover from it. it doesn't bury you like a threshold workout or VO2, some of the other ones that you have to recover more from. Um, sometimes you can do sweet spot workouts back to back if, if you feel um, capable of doing so. So you kind of get a lot of this time about. of year when you're in that base zone, are you mm -hmm. trying to improve the, the uh, I don't want to get dropped anxiety of increasing your threshold. So the, the level of intensity you can even recover at sweet spots, a real effective way to do that work, but get more volume in a week of that kind of work, see more rapid improvement than going out and doing two by 20 minute threshold intervals yeah. and uh, just hate life it after. takes three days to recover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and for me, um, I think a lot of people that know me know that I have a lot of demand on my time. I'm just a busy person and uh, work, kids, family, uh, a lot of stuff going on. And so I need a lot. When, when I do work on the bike, I have to be super focused. Um, you know, I wish I had 20 plus hours a week to train. I don't, it's not a reality for me. And so, I don't, 10, <laughs> 10, 10 to 12 hours maybe is a good week for me. And so yeah. when I do the work, I need to get a lot of bang for my buck. And so that's what Sweet Spot lets you do is it lets you and get that stress that you need to build adaptation uh -huh. to get stronger and to get faster, um, but in a shorter amount of time. And um, some of the other things are just building muscular endurance. It lets you push the pedals harder for a longer period of time. All right. So, Jackson, what is an effective cadence? I'm a low cadence guy and I know you give me crap for it daily, but, um, yeah. Uh, so it's not 70. It's not 70. <laughs> <laughs> I've been bumping it up to 80. Okay. Oh my oh, gosh, God. man. We almost have to put clip in pedals on your bike. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say 85 to 90 is, uh, is a, a good zone. Um, 
I almost kind of think of sweet spot sometimes as just like, you know, climbing a mountain, climbing Mount Scott or something, just kind of uh, working yeah. up that, you know, so somewhere you'd be comfortable in that, um, in that mode. So 85 to 90%, 90%, 95% is, is kind of on the high side, but gotcha. mental toughness brings mental toughness. Um, right. Sometimes you're in that third set and life sucks and you have to kind of work yourself through it. So. Well, I would even say there's a mental adaptation too, because even, even though you have the physical capability, it doesn't mean mentally you're used to being there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people beat themselves up when they first start trying to do sweet spot work. Cause even if their body can do the work mentally, they're just not used to being in that zone. Mm-hmm. So I find personally, when I first start trying to do those kind of intervals, the first two to three weeks are kind of a struggle to get yes. used to that sort of zone. Absolutely. Um, and allowing there to be some mental adaptation time along with physical adaptation is probably wise. Yeah. And I always feel like I get a good bump in fitness after the first couple of weeks too. I feel like my threshold comes up just a little bit um, just from that initial stimulation of getting back on the gas and doing workouts like that. So they, they feel like they get easier to like two or three weeks in. Not not a ton, but slightly, You're a lot more slightly. consistent than I am. I'm always kind of on week one. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Yeah. It happens. But okay, so an individual workout. Yeah. An individual workout, you know, if, if someone's starting and wants to get at least what we consider a minimum effective dose. Yeah. Uh, what do, what do those kind of workouts look like? So I kind of broke it up into ranges or two categories. So you've kind of got the beginner rider that's uh, maybe got a, um, a focused event that they're working on mm-hmm. um, or like a lower category racer. So when you start out racing cat five, cat four. Um, so in that, in that range, um, a workout uh, of maybe like an hour to an hour and a half in duration, you should be getting about 30 uh, to 45 minutes of sweet spot work mm-hmm. in that duration. Um, and then it kind of goes up from there. So like, you know, I'd say cat three to cat one and up, um, you should try to be hitting 60 minutes to 150 minutes of sweet spot. That's a lot, but, um, uh, a lot of stress on your body, but, um, that's where that adaptation comes in. So I want you guys to guess, you, you guys know who Matthew Heyman is. Um, uh, he just retired, uh-huh. um, but he won Perry roubaix in 2016. Yes. Broke his arm six weeks before, did a bunch of trainer work, did a bunch of sweet spot work, went, went and won. In that race, which was a little over six hours, uh-huh. how much time do you think he spent in the sweet spot zone? I mean, there's so much resistance on the call. I mean, I would say four hours. It was almost six hours. It, the Just whole, the whole time the he was whole in the race. Mm-hmm. It was like the whole race was his, 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 his file was like six hours and 10 minutes or something. Yeah. It was just a little less than six hours. Some of the, some of the harder uh, road races I've done, like Crosswinds Classic is coming up on the 24th. Yeah. And it always has a high power yield like that because there's no hill, which means you're just on the gun the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've not yet found the sweet spot of the draft in that race. <laughs> Just a gutter the entire time. It's definitely mm-hmm. a hard one. That's crazy. Six hours of sweet spot. Six hours. So anyway, kind of wrapping this up, um, example workouts. Uh, one of the big things I would say is they need to be kind of progressive in nature. So week after week that you're doing and focusing on sweet spot, they need to be slightly increasing. Don't start out with too much too soon. Um, and that's even where I would say it as uh, type A analytical, over ambitious road racers, um, 
we hear 88 to 94 percent and what do you want to what immediately is your inclination of what level of intensity you're going to ride at 94 94 yeah <laughs> more, more, i would highly recommend no. starting at 88 yes, absolutely and lean like maybe you start your interval at 88 and if you're feeling good towards the end mm -hmm. then you maybe ramp it up towards 94 and realize that motivation is fragile and clubbing yourself to death is not typically an effective way of building consistency yeah for sure so um, wrapping it up, the, the last thing I wanted to cover is like what can go wrong when you start doing sweet spot stuff. And I think one of the big things is, especially if you're using a power meter, is like having your FTP set wrong because that's what's determining the power numbers you yeah. hit, right? So like um, think of it this way. If you have two sweet spot workouts planned for the week, um, but you do the first one and your FTP is set too high, you're doing too much work. You're doing more work than you think you are. And you just can't recover. You don't feel good enough to do that second sweet spot workout that week. So you're missing out on that extra stimulation that you could be putting your, on your body. Whereas if you're in the right zone and doing the right work on the right percentages, then you're going to get more bang for your buck. So I, I think that's probably the, one of the biggest things is make sure you're, you've tested your FTP and you know what it is and it's accurate. And I, I think, you know, I've, I've personally noticed Monday through Friday, say I would have threshold intervals on there. Mm -hmm. I'm only really physically capable of hitting a sweet spot mm -hmm. uh, with a full-time job, kids at home, things going on. Stress at work. Actually, yeah. hitting and nailing your threshold is more of a, like an event type or a specified test type effort you can even do. Yeah. So I think having it too high just means you'll see a big wavy line. Yeah. So instead of it seeing as a line that gradually increases or stays steady, It'll be up and then down and up and then down. And then, you know, you're just, you're just pushing too much. And it's much more effective to get the real work done than to keep trying to push. Like if 94 is killing, you just go with 88. Yeah. You're still getting the right work done. Yes. It's still in that sweet spot. Go productive. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Yeah. So like just too much too soon, burning out, getting sick. You just have to manage all that. Make sure you're not doing too much too so soon. So that means you're not going to get sick in the next week or two. No. Yeah, you don't have too much stress in your training plan. Don't jinx it, Tony. <laughs> I'm not jinx. I'm asking an honest question because you're the one telling us all this information. Yeah, you just have to manage it. You just have to know your body. Just know your We're body. giving Jackson a little bit of crap. Just know your body. Training load. <laughs> and I've got a couple big weeks ahead. Uh, weight management. Um, you really have to fuel these workouts um, to do them effectively. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Underfueling is not going to get you anywhere as far as productivity and getting out of it. Yeah, sweet spots. Uh, like I think maybe low zone three to zone two, you can do on some of the fat fueled nutrition yep. diets that are out there. But you start getting into sweet spot, you're you're activating glycogen. Yep. Um, and yeah. the whole point is efficiency with the waste produced from using glycogen and lactate. So, yeah, like you're saying, if you're not feeling it, you're dead in the water. So you just have to be careful. I mean, uh, experienced athletes that do a lot of training, they know how to do that. But uh, just have to be aware that it. It is possible to underfuel um, and not have a good workout, or overfuel and have weight management issues. You're just going to have to find that uh, line. Just make sure to recover enough. Listen to your body. If you wake up and you got a big workout plan, and you're not feeling like it. Uh, do something easy and come back stronger the next day. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much what did it. I, what did I miss, guys? Matt, are you doing sweet spot right now? Uh, yeah, just rolled off of doing a lot of sweet spot for uh, three months i've been doing two sweet spot work workouts a week and the last month i've been doing some over under type stuff but lots of sweet spots starting in oh october for me late october rolling through now and 
Yeah, it's the same sort of thing, just slowly progressing and starting out with a 3x10 and then going, moving your way up to, you know, 4x12s and then just progressively adding on to it block after block. And yeah, they hurt. Um, I usually tell people that Sweet Spot is, it. Sweet Spot takes a mental uh, acuteness where you really have to pay attention on the workout. If you're not paying attention to it, your numbers can slip. Yeah. Um, it's not like a zone two workout where you can kind of zone out and stay in your zone. It, it really takes some mental toughness to stay on, in, on, it, top it, it. on top of it at that 90% and holding it all the way through your 10 minute or your eight minute or your 12 minute or your 15 well, minute. Because if you have a high, say your, your thresholds are on 300, the difference <laughs> between if you're not paying attention 270 and 250 may not feel much different if you're not paying attention mm-hmm. to the numbers, but you may have just slipped out of a sweet spot workout. And now you're doing a tempo. Interval. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but again, at the same time, uh, don't obsess too much. If you're putting put good effort down this time of year in January, then you're ahead of the curve by quite a bit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I don't, uh, my sweet spot interval is all based on Lake Hefner because <laughs> I'm lazy. So I go to the bottom. We do this on our Thunder Thursday, mm-hmm. right? But I just repeat the same thing on Tuesday and I go out there and I'll ride for on the road from start to stripes <laughs> where the dam ends. It's approximately 15 or 16 minutes. As I get stronger, the interval gets shorter. So that's some incentive. <laughs> and I do at least one and I might do three. And for me, it's just, I don't change the, <clears throat> I change the repetitions, but I don't change the time any more than just what it naturally gets changed doing that work around the lake. And that to me has become a mentally something. I'm so, I like high repetition. So I like to do the same workout, maybe add reps, mm-hmm. but I like to do the same distance for the certain intensity levels over and over and over again. Because then I get really familiar with how that feels. Mm-hmm. And so mentally becomes more and more capable to knock it out. I just heard something interesting on a podcast where they were talking about um, uh, RPE. Um, right, procedure. Yeah, exactly. And they were talking about like um, just your surroundings and how it affects you. So um, like bright light or like if the sun's out or like loud noises, music and other things that just tons of variables that can affect your rp so like having the same consistent thing this the route like you're talking about the, the route over and over and over the same thing well, for me it's, it's less maybe the rpe gets a little bit better because you're doing the same thing in and out well football and track both go to the same field to practice every day but the kind of work you do changes mm-hmm. in cycling i think sometimes we romanticize having a different route all the time but then you're processing the route processing the route not the work Mm. so if it comes to and that for me is tuesday thursday tuesday thursday i just need to go to the track and just do the work Mm -hmm. uh monday wednesday and friday are just more easier endurance days for me that's kind of how i structure my week or their gym days or i might just be riding then i can ride somewhere different because the intensity is negligible i'm just riding zone one zone two but if i'm going to go do work i want to take as many decisions out of the way so i have more willpower to lean into that workout and knock it out Mm. so that's I don't know. Makes sense. That's why I wear the same shirt every day too. So, <laughs> just, so did Steve Jobs. Gotta, work for him. Well, I'm not going to make any <laughs> level of comparison there. Uh, my threshold was much much lower than running a multi million dollar national corporation. But uh, I uh, I just try to keep the decisions as minimal as possible. So I'm thinking about less. Makes sense, Matt. Yes, sir. What are you talking about today? What do you got for us? Well, I think it's only fitting. Uh, I just got back from my easy zone two ride, which felt very hard because the weather is pretty junky outside. Uh, really, 
really cold. Wind's coming out of the north and it's biting. Um, and it made my RPE for my Zone 2 ride feel very, very high. <laughs> so I think we're going to talk about uh, proper... Um, how do you dress for a bad how, weather race? How to dress for a bad weather race. And we've been... As we shiver. As I shiver, as I try to warm up. As your it, nose is cold yep. back in the uh, poorly <laughs> ventilated bike shop office. It's it's real. It's real. But I think it's only fitting, you know, we in, in the region that we live in, especially this time of year, weather is uh, not your friend. Uh, at least most weekends, it seems like it's either going to be rainy or windy or both or maybe uh, some sort of blizzard or who knows. Well, it's summed up in the phrase when people say, well, maybe land run won't be muddy this year. And everyone yeah. laughs and I like, <laughs> yeah, right. It's yeah. going to be 32 degrees and pouring rain mm-hmm. and a muddy road because yeah. this is Oklahoma this time. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think preparing for a bad weather race or a bad weather event, uh, for me, it comes down to uh, probably three or four different, uh, different periods of your preparation. So the first thing I try to do is just set set a expectation for what that event's going to be like. Um, for me, it's a way of preparing my mind and accepting the fact that you're going to get wet, you're going to get cold, it's going to be windy, um, and you're going to be really uncomfortable on the bike for however many hours your event's going to be. Uh, I recently just got done reading uh, Matt Fitzgerald's book, How Bad Do You Want It?, which goes into the mentality behind being a great athlete. Um, and he calls this technique as, uh, he calls it bracing, where you you think about what you're about to face and brace for the impact. Uh, he actually quotes a study that says bracing for these uncomfortable moments in workouts or in races can actually boost your performance by 15%. Um, I definitely recommend going in and checking out that book. A lot of good info there. But the mentality that you have is that this is going to hurt, but it's no worse than anything I've faced before. As opposed to it's on the... like marriage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the other hand... For her. <clears throat> For her. <laughs> well... <laughs> But on the other hand, in, instead of trying to, uh, so now I got to wrap my head back around. I, 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 I'm me. just trying to throw you off. But well, it's it's not a form of denial. You're accepting what's going to be given to you. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it too is so many people. Here, here's here, this is another example of what that question you asked earlier, Brandon. When it's bad weather, I don't only brace. I try to turn to advantage. I'm like everyone's going to be talking about how bad weather it is. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to be. Like we're or not not show up, whatever. So I even like start talking at the line. Mm-hmm. Like, Man, it's cold today. Just there's, trying to make them feel colder. There's a little bit of pride to like braving the weather whenever nobody else yeah. will. It's like, yeah, I did that, and you guys didn't. So it's it's turn it to an advantage. Yeah, turn it to that racing thing is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and it's going to be hard, but it's hard for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I'm ready for it. I'm pumped about it. I'm talking about how awesome it's going to be, and everyone's thinking I'm crazy. And all the way right there, you got an advantage. Mm-hmm. All right, what kind of clothes you wear? Or am I skipping a step? No, that's that's just the the mental side of it is really just bracing for that impact. But whenever you're talking about what you're going to bring and preparing for the weather, I don't think you can, you can ever be too prepared yeah. for what you're going into. So um, watching the weather and knowing the course, right? So if it's 
if it's going to be raining, you're going to wear or think about different things, whether it's a road race or if it's land run. Like, those are two different races. So you have to know the weather, and you have to know the conditions and what you're actually going to be riding on. Yeah. Uh, that's just course recon. It's checking out, uh, seeing what the weathermen are talking about. But luckily, around here, we have some great weathermen, and you really... That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> that's a lie. You need to have a large race bag. Yep, you know, large we race bag. Wichita Eat. Gravel Grind, the three of us went there. It was going to be 38 to 40 degrees and pouring rain on gravel roads yep. and lots of elevation. Yep, lots of elevation. Lots of body temperature change. Mm -hmm. uh, three different speeds between the three of us as well. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, we each had, We I think we each tried to take one bag. And so in one bag, I was able to stuff, I wrote these down because I brought so much stuff in one bag. This is why I didn't fit any breakfast in my bag. <laughs> so I brought, uh, starting at the bottom, I brought my shoes, obviously, thermal shoe covers, and I also brought Velo toes, toes covers, which are like the neoprene waterproof covers. They're, they're cycling shoe condoms. Mm -hmm. yep. How did those work out? Uh, I couldn't get them on my feet. I you know, you had to watch the, they actually have a video yeah, about how to make I, I know. They were the shoe covers. You know you got a great product when you have to make a video on how to use it. So Neil, I didn't. I didn't use those because like, I tried and I got frustrated and I threw them to the side. But then I also brought tights. I brought knee warmers, wool socks, extra socks. I brought uh, a wool base layer. I brought a thermal jersey, a summer jersey, arm warmers, wind vest, thermal vest, uh, arm warmers. I brought a gator, thermal cap, uh, clear shades, dark shades. Suit of armor. Suit of armor. Like this, my bag was my bag was dense. Now, what I did is I had all that stuff. I don't trust the weatherman at this point anymore, so I just had to wait until day of the race and kind of look outside and see what to wear. Um, I think a lot of people fall into the trap, though, of overdressing for an event. Um, yes. Well, I think and that's where I think one of the key things <clears throat> is probably uh, what's against your skin. Mm -hmm. As far yeah, as definitely. that and the base layer, both yeah. of those being like a merino wool, yep. means as your body temp fluctuates, you're holding on to more. Yeah, definitely. And I would also include uh, wool socks. I'm a big fan of wool socks also if you can get a good pair. Um, but yeah, the base the base layer is probably the so most. So what did you choose for Wichita Gravel Crime? What did you end up wearing? I ended up wearing my uh, wool base layer. I wore regular bib shorts and tights over my shorts. I wore wool socks and thermal shoe covers. And then I wore a thermal vest, my mid-weight gloves, not my light or my heavy gloves. I brought all three of them and just used the, the middleweight gloves. Um, a hat. Wore shades, but tossed them off about five miles into the race because I couldn't see anything there. Uh, it worked pretty well for me. It still got a little bit warm, though, actually, yeah. with there the best. 5,500 feet of elevation mm -hmm. there, which I did. Whenever you're climbing that much, you, yeah. you warm up. Yeah. Yeah. You're chasing a 108-pound little kid. Yeah. Up a mountain. Yep, definitely. I got pretty hot. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say overall it, it worked pretty well for me. I think the weather, it, it probably got into the low 40s maybe, if yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Well, it got colder at the end, it felt like, too. On that yeah. Ride, where, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. How how hot does it feel when you feel like you're going to suffocate and die? Because that's, <laughs> that's how hot I was in the first 10 miles of that race. Yeah. Like that I, flushed feeling of asphyxiation. Mm -hmm. I, 
I don't know if that I has anything to do with the clothes, though. Uh, no, I, mean, I think I had everything you had on plus another 40 pounds of body fat. Yep. Yeah. Those are good times. <laughs> plus the... And, and, and hair, body hair. I, you know, that's a good... I have my own uh, Merino base layer. There's Stevens driving by. Yep. Chris, Chris with a K. Hey, Chris. What's up, Chris with a K? He was at Wichita Gravel. He sure too. was. Crushed it. The other, the last big piece of kit that I made sure to bring, you made sure to bring... Brandon did not bring, was, was a fender. A fender! Man, the fender was the lifesaver. Podium Cycle Works, I think that's what, PDW? Yep. That's the one we, I have. That's the one you have. I got the mucky nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, I got done with that ride, and my back was glistening clean. Why, yep. I was not muddy on my backside. That's a lie. I was muddy. When you first start riding in a rain ride, and you've forgotten that, and which most of us do around here because we don't have enough of it, and you get that first cold spray... Yeah. Of water on your backside. It's like a bidet that's out of control. <laughs> so you're saying I look like I crap my pants. I mean, <laughs> look like, in quotes. It was like you went down a peanut butter slip and slide. <laughs> that's what it felt like. <laughs> Man, I'm writing down some ideas for date night right now. <laughs> Speaking of date night. Date night. The next thing, and this I think was the biggest thing for my race, is positioning. All right, there you <laughs> positioning it. <laughs> I was like, where is it? So, um, I, you can keep yourself a lot cleaner, a lot drier, a lot less mud on you and your bike, depending on where you're at in your group of other riders. So, so that would be the little spoon position. Yes. Well, I mean, so if you're in a group and you're rolling down the road, which way you're facing? Big spoons getting a lot of stuff all mm-hmm. over them. Yeah. And little spoons clear and clear. Yeah. Definitely true. So my my tactic at Owatchita was on the flats. I would be on somebody's wheel, but off centered by probably six to eight inches or so. Yeah, and that just prevents all that mud that they're kicking up from coming straight at you. Yeah. Um, whenever you're climbing, we were climbing slow enough that drafting didn't matter, so you could be anywhere on the road. So I just tried to pick a line away from the other guys. More about rolling resistance and spray. Yeah, just yeah. picking a good line. You don't really have to worry about mud too much. And then on the descent, I made sure that I was either way off to the right or left of somebody's wheel or off the front. Because okay. on the downhills is whenever there's a lot of mud coming off the guy's wheel in front of you. In the, in the podium picture, you can see that. Yeah, go back and take a look at that picture. They were, uh, they were doing it wrong. Yep, they, <laughs> they were both muddy. I was less muddy. I was still muddy. <laughs> they looked like they had been dipped in a jar of peanut mm-hmm. butter. It was unbelievable. Yep. A 108-pound kid. He probably, unbelievable. he probably weighed 110 pounds with all that much. That's true. <laughs> it's true. His bike is literally 20% of his weight. Um, yeah, so that, that, I mean, that kind of wraps up my thoughts there. And then post-race, just getting out of those wet, muddy oh, clothes gosh, as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, and then trying to warm up. I found that walking around, I, I can get a little bit warmer quicker by walking around rather than sitting. Yeah. Um. But you're going to get that chill no matter yeah, what. Yeah, you're going to get that chill and then getting the bike taken care of, cleaning it, and checking out the bearings and all that. And Have you done any uh, next one. rainy road races or crits, Brandon? Yeah, I've done one rainy crit. Are you glasses or no glasses? So I wore my glasses and they were covered with mud, but I was behind <laughs> people a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to keep them on, so mm-hmm. I just kept wiping them off. Yeah, I know. I couldn't. 
I, I think if I would have kept my glasses on, I still wouldn't have been able to see anything because I was wiping mud out of my eyes for <laughs> for a good chunk of the race. Maybe I'm more, maybe I just tolerate that more, but I, I typically leave them on mm. just to get it. I found that racing cyclocross, I I tend to not wear glasses for cyclocross, so I kind of defaulted to no shades. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. I don't like glasses in any kind of weather. I fog up a bunch. I can't see. I'm kind of obsessed with being able to see what's coming up next. I do like to wear a regular cycling cap because it keeps water out of my face from coming from the sky. Mm -hmm. um, so then all, then all I'm, and even when someone's in front of you a little bit, if you could tip your head down a little, mm. you can get enough that that spray is hitting the tip of the cap. Yeah, that makes sense. And not into your eyes. You can kind of still see. So that's. <clears throat> no, I think no glasses is probably more normal. I'm just weird. Well, I, I mean, I was picking stuff out of my eyes for quite a while. Mm. Same with the 419 mountain bike races last week, and they got muddy. And I wasn't on anyone's wheel, but there's enough mud flicking around. I still got mud in the corners yeah, of my eyes. Just, in that race, I got I took them off for like five minutes, and I got some in my eye. I was like, okay, I'm going to put these back. <laughs> That's what I did. Well, uh, last thing we got today is just a, uh, a quick, I don't know, it's almost like a PSA. I've been doing a lot of bike fits recently, and people coming in complaining about uh, feelings of balance, stability. Uh, I even see a lot of lack of stability uh, that doesn't have to do with inserts and shoes or anything else. It has to do with poor glute activation or, but, down for date or night. butt flexing. <laughs> <laughs> Going on with the date night thing, butt flexing. <laughs> There's a poor butt flexing. Well, so glute activation, uh, the rear part of your leg, called the rear posterior chain, it's hamstring, glute, low back, up to the cross-chained lat, right? So and I'm sure plenty of mobility people are going to correct me on that. But in general, that part of the body is not very naturally activated when you ride a bike if you aren't intentional about doing off-the-bike work. Uh, and so I see people come in and uh, their knees are all over or they're having a hard time applying power. And we'll put in the right shims and things into their shoes to help match arches. But really, there's a technique element of feeling the full foot push when you pedal instead of just the ball of your foot where you connect to the pedal. Yeah. The front part of the foot connects to the front part of the leg. And that middle part of the foot, not the heel, but the kind of the arch connects to that rear posterior chain. So I am seeing people who just do some simple exercises uh, to activate the glutes. <laughs> what what, what, what exercises would you recommend? <laughs> yeah, when I walk in the door, Manny goes... Boy, activate the glutes. <laughs> oh, man. And every day, every day of my life. <laughs> uh, it's a weird thing to talk about, but uh, deadlift naturally does that. Uh, over at ARC um, Athletic Recovery Center, Sean Smith, I've been going there doing some consulting with him about how to do some exercises that might be able to create more recruitment. With recruitment is strength, with recruitment is stability, without doing a workout. It's just doing some movements. So he had some um, movements. <laughs> Jackson, you're so dirty. I tee people every single time. Every time. Uh, there are some movements you can do that can just activate glutes. Uh, every, anything from like laying down, doing a straight leg raise. If you just Google activate the glutes, A, be careful. <laughs> Being incognito mode, <laughs> you never know who's watching. <laughs> but actually, Sean would be a fantastic person to kind of go and connect with if you're what like a, a PT evaluation. Because I think a lot of cyclists were in such a small range of motion that the big muscles take over and the minor muscles aren't needed. 
and then we get into these unhealthy techniques and positions on the bike that are causing either pain or pressure or numbness. And it doesn't have as much to do with a bad bike fit as it has to do with the fact we're not using everything that's available. And for me, when I'm riding a bike, because I'm going down the road at 180 pounds, I want to make sure every bit of that 180 is making me faster on the bike and not literally dead weight. Mm. And the set of muscles you have that aren't activated, um, not only are they dead weight, but they're also uh, impacting your comfort on the bike. And that's where, for me, I think fit makes you faster. Because if you got done with a 50-mile ride and you actually still felt great and you had the time, you might go get another 20 miles because you feel comfortable and it's only the physicality of riding that's kind of impacting you instead of this weird numbness or position um, uh, on the bike. So not what Matt was talking about, on the bike. <laughs> uh, I think it makes a big difference. So uh, that's just something today. And I, as we had the podcast here, I'm going to kind of bring up different fit things to pay attention to. Today was glute activation. And me and Sean at ARC both agreed that poor activation through the hips, poor activation in the glutes, he has multiple runners come in that have to have uh, knee surgeries because in the way they're running, he'll see, he said, I'll see a big old quad, a big old hamstring, and I can just tell from the glutes that they're not actively supporting and running with the stride by which they're using all the muscles in their leg, and the knee is then isolated, and then it gets injured. So with cycling, we can have a lot of those sort of things too, and if there's a simple set of uh, mobility exercises you can do that just gets the right muscles switched on, um, then when you're riding, it's all of a sudden like you have access to using this new set of power. And if you have muscles that can create motion down the road, why would you not use them? So uh, as far as the quick fit uh, advisement or mobility advisement, uh, I would highly recommend looking that up and maybe even connecting with Sean over at ARC in South Edmond, going through an assessment, and they can definitely put a care plan together to get you rocking and rolling. Cool. So... Man, I invited you guys on this podcast, and all of a sudden, there's all kinds of dirty talk. <clears throat> trying to keep this as a non-explicit podcast. I blame you. I, I, I do, too. <laughs> Everyone, uh, thanks for listening today. Thanks for the Bike Lab Performance Podcast. We'll be uh, doing it uh, and updating most weeks. Uh, this is Tony Stewart from the Bike Lab. We have Matt Lanier from Whole Shot Coffee and Mr. Brandon. J Who, are you allowed to say where you work for? Are you get in trouble? Nope. Team Logic IT. Team Logic IT free IT service for everyone who rides a bike. Thanks for listening today, guys.